today's been a day when I've been, as the kids say, back on my bullshit. Um, so I did a tweet. This is how all these stories start. It might be familiar to some of you, the format. But I'm going to read it out now. So it says, such beautiful weather. A perfect day to continue my great job as a primary school teacher, where I make students recite the Shahada bracket, which they think is a nursery rhyme, and therefore turning them Muslim. The Department of Education knows all about this, but won't fire me because they'll believe that it's racist. Uh, classic. So it's a pretty, pretty, you know pretty low-hanging fruit. It's a classic of the genre. We've seen it before. It's performed well. Yeah. Yeah, I was gl- I was really glad to see it out here. You know, re- really raking in numbers. It's a lunch yeah. pail tweet. Absolutely, yeah. got to respect. Really like the performance. I do these tweets because we've got a live show coming up soon, and we needed to push some tickets. And usually, it's quite good to kind of say, "Hey, if you like stupid shit like this, you can come to our live show." Yeah, we really, do the live yeah. shows in order to turn more people Muslim. Right. That's the that's right. the agenda. It's, yeah. it's, it's an epic dawah exercise. Anyway, anyway, so it got like some moderate numbers. So I'm looking at it now: two point four thousand likes, two hundred twenty six retweets. Like, not it was pretty substantial, but not as substantial. These are, these done better not you as know. substantial as like the doctor one which got me reported to various hospitals slash the police uh-huh. this is your common or garden numbers tweet lads. yeah this yeah. is a yeah, yeah. yeah. no like, this is this is putting up a respectable performance right but this is not hall of fame but, material but the question i have is were, were your responses half angry tommy robinson supporters and half other muslims in media who are just like god not again Hussein. so not really most of them were just like friends of the show or people saying haha this is very funny well done i'll never get tired of this to which i to which i was thinking i absolutely do get tired of this i'm trying <laughs> to think of a different format i don't know which one to get but but the ending of this particular saga was very new and the reason why is because some guy who responded to it got so mad so angry at me but he drew a picture of me. <laughs> he basically like I'm looking at it now. He basically like drew a picture of my of my Twitter picture, which is a picture of me like going for a run with like a bandana on, like behind some waterfall, wearing like a crappy Uniqlo jumper. So it looks exactly like that, except he's got like a bunch of speech bubbles around me, which says pro Sharia infidel with I N S E D E L. Nice. Just Allah with the with the Muslims Who could forget Hussein's classic catchphrase, Allah. <laughs> yo, that's the thing. Muslims do be saying that. They do be um I want seventy virgin boys. Um which I is mean, which is, is true, true, but which is true, but let's make sure that like there's no more than five of them at a time. Yeah. Yeah. You want seventy virgin boys because you want to like start a business. Right. I want right. to start a castrato choir. Yeah. I have He's no interest in sexual things. It's all business yeah. on this show. But the best thing, the best the best um, speech bubble that he wrote was this. Cartoons suck. Don't draw us. <laughs> <laughs> to which Hussein said, hey, I don't remember saying that. <laughs> I say that all the time. Yeah. I say it to random people. Don't draw cartoons of me. Hello again, and welcome back to your week's free TF. Uh, the old familiar crew is here, having all all been we've all been drawn in loving pen portraits in detail <laughs> by angry people online. We've been replaced by portraits of ourselves. Where this is all just speech bubbles. I mean, we draw each other every week. Actually, yeah. that's how we... this is this is t- the trash future speed drawing class. Uh, I am as ever Riley. I'm joined in studio by Milo. Uh, it's me, your boy. How's it going? Hussein. Uh, hello. It's me. I'm back. Studio Allah. boy. Allah. <laughs> Allah. Allah at your boy. Pe- people, people do be saying that. Yeah. Uh, Nate on the boards. Hello. And 
We are very excited to be joined by the Tribune Magazine's culture editor and all-round noted good author and critic, Owen Hatherley. Hello. Owen, how are you doing today? Not too bad, thank you. Fantastic. Um, Also, top of the episode, uh, I'm just going to say we have some small amount of tickets for our live show remaining uh, at the Star of Kings in King's Cross at the time of recording. This may completely change by the time this is released. Who knows? But... Uh, do click on the link. It is in the description. We would love to see you there. And if you can't come to the live show, or even if you can, on the 27th, I have a smoke comedy event with Elf Lions, which is going to be great. And so far, I'm not going to lie, lads, we've not sold enough tickets. So if anyone <laughs> wants to help a boy out and buy a ticket to that, that would be really great. Thank you very much. Good Interesting. night. Interesting. This is, this is the yin and yang. See, this is... We're flipping it around. You thought you could skip it. You skip the plugs just by like turning the podcast off a few minutes before the end. That's usually a mistake because we're all so tired and weird by then that some like other jokes do make it in there. That's when all the slurs come out. But, but, <laughs> if you, you want to hear me call someone a WAP, tune into the last three minutes. It's, it's weird. You get on the podcast analytics. And it's like, why do the Australians only listen to the last five minutes of this podcast? <laughs> they call that the witching hour. Um, but we have an enormous amount of, of shit of shit to get into. Uh, so it is time. It is time to jump in. Folks, um, I have to raise the Trash Future Salute of the Week. That's right, the Salute hey, of the salute. Week. <laughs> the salute. We, ra- we raise a glass of that heathen Italian delectable, just decadent Sambuca. Yellowest of the yellow liquors. <laughs> and to Comrade Tate Modern. Anyone know why the Tate Modern is a comrade? Care to take a guess? Because they've enabled us to stare into the houses of the rich, look at them as they go about their awful lives. <laughs> That's right. We are now seeing into the various kinds of, I assume, sort of dark rituals of human sacrifice that are taking place in the flats at the Neo-Bankside development. <laughs> Whoa, hang on. The real exhibition at the Tate Modern is Society. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, isn't that what it is? Like, really, like... But you know, you you would just see all these rich people dressing up as the Joker and like having sex with each other. Like, (laughs) isn't that that just what rich people do? The darkest and most expensive version of The Sims. There's a huge artwork on the wall that's just a mirror. Having having stared into those particular windows, which is so much more boring than one would hope, that none of them are kind of like turning into flesh eating monsters or dressing up in any interesting way. They're just sort of take cocaine and look at books on coffee tables and. Live sad lives. Uh, moving on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it really called Neobankside? Yeah, it really it's, it's, a, it's the owners of the flats facing the Tate Modern in the Neobankside developments, which are like worth four million pounds it's each, just, by the way. Calling it Neo anything unironically feels like the only people they are trying to sell it to are really rich anime fans. Yeah. Because cool. it's like, mm. I mean, Neo Tokyo is going to explode. Neo Bankside, maybe yeah, not Neo, so much. Well, Neo they call Bankside. that because you take a pill and then you wake up there. <laughs> uh, so the owners of the flats have claimed that the new viewing platform of the Tate Modern, which I think is, we can all agree is basically an unmitigated public good because it allows people to sort of hang out and see London, um, claim the use of the platform represents a, quote, relentless invasion of their privacy. <laughs> it is unrelenting, Can folks. you not put curtains up? Mm. Okay, that's a preview of what the judge said to do. <laughs> right. Okay. It's actually, due to product placement regulations, we have to say it is an energetic invasion of their privacy, <laughs> but it is sponsored by Relentless. 
The claimants had sought an injunction requiring the gallery to prevent members of the public observing their flats by cordoning off parts of the platform or screening most of it to stop what they said was this invasion of privacy. A viewing platform, but you can't look at anything. (laughs) (laughs) Black mirror. That's the ultimate neoliberal. That's the ultimate neoliberal viewing platform, right? Just a closed box that's been totally bricked up because nearby property owners complained. Yeah, I mean, I have a podcast. You just said it oh, all right. Then you have yeah. a VR view of the London, but with all the but with all like the rich people's houses deleted from it digitally. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mr. Justice Mann dismissed their claim at a London hearing, Mr. saying, Justice- <laughs> <laughs> "Please, Mr. Justice Mann." I was really hoping we could get through just one name, just one name. But he should be like, he, he should he should change his name. My hero. <laughs> That, so, Robert, Robert Muller? R- R- Riley, say, 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 say his name again, please. Say his full name again. Mr. Justice Man <laughs> said, These properties are impressive, and no doubt there are great advantages to be enjoyed in such extensive glass views, but that effect comes at a price in terms of privacy. Um, but, Guy, but Guy Featherstonar, QC, for the tape. Another great name. <laughs> Featherstonar. He sounds like he should be hosting a show about cooking game birds on BBC4. <laughs> told the court that, quote, the claimant's remedy for what they perceive to be a nuisance lives in their own hands. Um, and that... And, and that he agreed and that he was appreciative that the justice had said the, that the property owners could just buy curtains. That was what the judge said. We're not going to grant an injunction to tear down an expensive and previously planned for a viewing platform because it makes your four million pl- pound flat slightly less enjoyable because you could just buy curtains. Righty, but what you're not saying is that some of these people only had exactly four million pounds, and they spend now they can't afford curtains. <laughs> All I'm going to say is, well, like these guys, like in a very serious type, like there's a certain type of person that really wants to buy like a perspex house or like a perspex apartment, right? Oh, David Blaine. Well, besides David Blaine, who I feel like doesn't, after like considering like what happened when he did hang out in the first ever Perspex London house, and like British people just like took the piss That's out of him. Six hundred quid a month now. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, London you know, rental. Great. 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 Week. Great view of the city near a tube station. All that stuff. Um, they all Convenient just, crane. I mean, entry. they all just want to live like they all just want to live like Patrick Bateman lifestyles, right? And Patrick Bateman, he wouldn't like settle. You know, he wouldn't want. He wouldn't put a curtain up in his house, right? He wouldn't, he wouldn't do that shit. Like, how would people, like, see him do crunches? People keep watching me murder people. Like. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I actually, I'm, I, I think we're all... Isn't that, isn't that another thing, too? Like, maybe that's what they're worried about, that people will finally, well, people will see them doing murders. Oh, they'll see them doing all the weird rich people cult shit. <laughs> like, like, cause that's clearly like, there's every rich person has a lot of dirt on every other rich person. Why are they wearing... all in a bunch of crazy murder cults. Why are they wearing black masks, mummy? <laughs> <laughs> They're running for the governorship of Virginia. <laughs> so here's the thing: I, I, as I'm sure many of us are, we're familiar with the actual physical shape of these um, dwellings. What they, what they do is they come to up there's the viewing tower, the dwellings behind the viewing tower from the Thames, and then the flats come to a point. Such and then inside that area, it's a aerodynamic. Is the um is the live are the living spaces that as as Owen you correctly pointed out just look very sad but also it would be it would reduce it would diminish the effect of the sort of sweeping um view to like interrupt it with curtains and I think that's what they were basically saying. Well, I mean the crucial thing with those is that you're supposed to look out from them rather than be looked in at. I mean, there's that advert that was doing the rounds that ended up getting 
pulled because it was so American Psycho-esque that you may remember, which was some sort of city worker is, it was for an advert for a flat actually not far from here, um, like where Whitechapel meets Allgate. And um, you had someone sort of suited around, you know, sort of hanging around sort of bits of London where he was in crowded lifts and then kind of walked past places where there was graffiti. And then at the end of the advert, he's in this new high-rise flat and there's this whole kind of spiel over the top about the city that could have swallowed you all. And now you are at the top. And there's like kind of, yeah, yeah, (laughs) there's a sort of woman fawning on him and he's got the books and the table and he's looking out of the window at the city. And that's what you're meant to do. Now, if then in that view, when you're looking out at the city that you have crushed, someone's kind of looking at you and pointing at you, it's, you know, like being caught wanking. (laughs) (laughs) And like, why is that man shocking himself every 15 minutes? <laughs> but daddy, I thought a belt was supposed to go around the waist. <laughs> <laughs> Those oranges were for everyone. So the, my, my question, right, is what, what do you think this, what do you think these developments, because with me, this felt like a victory, the small victory where a public good won out slightly in a very small symbolic way over whatever these flats represent, this kind of place, this sort of sleek, unlived in post-modernity. But I don't quite know what that represents. Um, what does it represent? I mean, well, I mean, the, the, the problem with the thing with Bankside and of all that sort of stuff is that it was always built in places that until fairly recently were working class. And so in the cases of Bankside, it was, you know, it was an industrial area, but not just, you know, only a few yards from there, you've still got council estates. And so the whole way to sort of sell that particular snake oil was always kind of like, you are now moving into this aspirational area and it's all completely different. Um, which has been Southwark Council in particular strategy for about the last 15 years, sort of noticing that they're in the middle of London and then trying to attract these people moving to London rather than, you know, commuting out to Surbiton or what, or what have you. You can now live in a luxury living solution in the very centre of London next to the Tate Modern. Um, and of course, certain things had to go along with that. You had to put up a lot of CCTV, quite a lot of gates. You had to kind of do things to make sure that, like, we know you live next door to a council estate, so we're going to make sure they can't get in. So that kind <laughs> of paranoia has always been part of, part of what those flats were all about. And obviously, initially, it was all justified by lots of like, you know, if we get bankers to move in here, we'll have loads of tax money, which means we'll be able to build loads of council housing, <laughs> which obviously happened. <laughs> so the I, trouble was that poor people don't like being looked at. That's the real, they wish wouldn't move there. Couldn't well, be done. I know you're making a joke, but like that actually is a big part of it because part was one of the major things about making these areas safe and quote unquote prosperous was inundating them with sort of either pret-a-mangers if they're, a, if they're in the city or um, like chain tourist restaurants if it's Bankside and then covering them in CCTV so that the remaining poor could then just be watched all the time to, so, so that they don't, you know, disturb the, um, the then sort of frolics of the rich that have been promised on the hoardings of these developments. Well, so that if they kind of steal a bottle of water during a riot, they can be found and apprehended. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I just kind of on a lark periodically to see how insane property prices are in London. I'll just look on on you know various real estate apps. And I moved here from New York, so obviously like I'm no stranger to insane real estate and also like the insane insane sort of like 
juxtaposition of security and high high rise luxury flats with you know with what we, we the equivalent of council houses or you know poorer neighborhoods. But what, what's been shocking to me here is that the marketing seems to be a little bit more blatant. I mean, I've seen things where literally a home uh, and a listing in Peckham said you know inside a gated area for the security minded individual, and I was like, they wouldn't say that in America. <laughs> it's just kind of insane, and it's like, it seems like it is very much more blatant to you know put in your face that. Uh, you are going to live in a world apart and those worlds will never meet. No one can get in or out. (laughs) (laughs) For the Austrian-minded individual. (laughs) I think that comes a little bit out of the particular cultural cringe that that, 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 that kind of came with this in London. There's a good bit in Douglas Murphy's book, Nincompoopolis, about Boris Johnson and and the kind of London that he built, where he kind of quotes him saying something about London actually, you know, being fairly crap compared to like Paris or New York. And it kind of is, you know, I've lived here for nearly 20 years, but you know, you, you walk around a lot of, a, a lot of London and it doesn't look like the capital of a globe bestriding empire. It looks like a sort of collection of sort of faintly shabby 18th century build villages with some tower blocks in between, which is great as far as I'm concerned, but you know, but it, 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 it you know, you then have to kind of, in, in order to kind of attract bankers from New York, which is explicitly what they're trying to do. You, I think you do have to do that sort of rhetoric. You have to kind of do like, even more than in New York, we will shoot any intruders. You know, yeah. it's... <laughs> well, it's, this is actually, this, this goes nicely to um, what you describe in, uh, in, as a new typology of building, uh, where the austere luxury flat and the, ta- and the tasteful 50s-style modernist non-DOM investment um, sort of gives way from being this Dubai on Thames, as you've written, uh, increase, to increasingly resemble a cross between Islington in the 1820s and Poplar in the 1950s. Well, if you go to Neo Bankside, um, at least the last time I, 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 I was around there, this was still there. Might not, might not be there now. There is a grocer's called Albion. And it's kind of written there in like sans-serif font, like a kind of sort of 1940s style. And it sells just sort of ordinary looking fruit and veg at a very, very high price. As if it's a sort of, you know, a, a greengrocer in like 1940s Hackney rather than, you know, a greengrocer in Neobankside. Um, so what if I told you that fruit and veg could cost twice as much and it's the same shit? You'll have like generations of kids who are like, oh, I remember my time at Neobankside very fondly. <laughs> um, watching, watching all the weird men bust a nut. <laughs> But like the cum curves in the air, they're like he's starting to believe. My my, my mother gave me a sixpence <laughs> to go buy some chewing gum. My, my mother gave me a sixpence to whip at the poor from the top of my four million pound flat. But you were saying of the grocer. Well, yeah. And so far as like, and you know, when this stuff was first being built, it would you know the grocer would be called like Aspire, and it would be pink, and it would be selling you like kind of you know street food from somewhere you've never heard of like you know and, and like coffee made by like people that have been the one that sh- shits the coffee that gets shit out by the thing that's it, supposed it, to make it good anyway it, w- it would have been very kind of um high-ending and it's kind of very explicitly kind of like look how fancy this is way and that's changed quite a lot um there's sort of the the, the english middle class has gone back to their sort of default setting of trying to pretend they're not rich mm. And that's that. This is this sort of. I think is this. This is. I think a feeling that uh, reached its apotheosis in 2012, right? Where with the with the, the the Olympic opening ceremony was one of the times where where I think a lot of England started turning back to find its own nostalgia ridiculously appealing. 
like before them, we were coming off of new labor in the first couple of years of sort of modern Cameronism. And we were supposed to be this this very forward, dynamic country that was full of grocery shops called Aspire, where you could get an organic baklava that was that would make you very smart because it contained a nootropic. Um, but now, I think in, in in 2012, I think we fell in love with our own with our own history and a very rosy colored view of our own history. And now everything is all of a sudden sort of very almost. We, 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 it's, and you can see this, I mean, in the popularity of Jacob Rees-Mogg and, that, and, and the Brexit and so forth, where we all want to go back now. Well, I have right. a conspiracy theory about this, which is that the Keep Calm and Carry On poster was planted by MI5. In <laughs> um, <laughs> so far as no one had really heard of it, apart from design historians, because of the fact that it wasn't actually produced mm. during the war. Yeah, so didn't they was, deem um, that it would be too offensive? It would just piss people off for yeah. various <laughs> reasons. So um, what, was the, what is the story but, of the Keep Calm and Carry On ooh, poster? Just because from, from the start, we, have a, we have a half American audience. Yeah, they only oh, know it oh, as oh, Keep Calm and Chive On. They thought that's where it came <laughs> from. I, I don't even understand this joke. So, um, so, well, I mean... It was one of three posters which were kind of put together by the Ministry of Information in 1940, uh, the other of which said, uh, freedom is in peril, defend it with all your might. And the other one, oh God, what was it? Your courage and your fortitude and your something or other will bring us victory. And then there was this one saying, keep coming, carry on. And the first two were kind of put out in 1940, around the time they thought the Nazis might actually invade. Um, and then they didn't, so they didn't need to put the poster up. But the other two, the kind of market research type stuff that they'd done and found that the people had been quite pissed off by them and found them kind of patronizing and didn't really get them. And so I imagine this one would have, you know, made people even more kind of like, don't tell me what to keep calm, you know, type stuff. <laughs> um, so then it sort of disappears completely. And then it reappears in a box of books given to a famous secondhand bookshop at a disused railway station in Northumberland. Mm-hmm. Um, and then within months, it goes from there to the Victorian Albert Museum, and then it becomes the enormously successful and irritating meme it is now. Yeah. And, this and now it's mugs. Almost exactly coinciding with the financial crisis. Really? Almost exactly. That, that, that the poster sort of going from like, you know, being one of many kind of wartime images that you could like get at, you know, the Imperial War Museum shop or whatever, um, to being something that's absolutely inescapable exactly coincides with that and therefore i think the conservative central office planning for their election winning campaign in 2010 um you know got their mates in the ministry who whatever's the success of the ministry of information i don't know presumably mi6 and um and marketed it that is the most believable conspiracy theory i have ever heard in my yeah, entire that's life like, that's just as wild as the whole like saudi arabia no it wasn't saudi arabia it was like some weird Oh, who? No, McKinsey, like funding Supreme. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like McKinsey having like some stake in like all these like um, streetwear, like these hypebeast streetwear brands. Ah, thus proving the truth of the McKinsey scale, which is that <laughs> McKinsey is never completely involved or completely not involved in any cultural <laughs> phenomenon. It always just exists on a scale, continuous scale of involvement. Yeah. Yeah, this and the, the I think the, yeah, that's right to say that the Keep Calm and Carry On poster is kind of the ur text for this. Very sort of strange and unshakable wave of nostalgia that is still gripping Britain. 
I'm just still really enjoying the idea of like bankers during the financial crisis keeping calm and carrying on well, stealing did. billions of pounds. Well, they did, though. That's exactly what they did. But also, I mean, I, I take your point that it seems like a kind of weird, self-referential, almost like refracted national image. That it's this idea of like a nostalgia for a wartime mentality that didn't actually happen because, as you put it, it was what was deemed to be way too patronizing. And so, it, but it's the same kind of like I feel like when people want to invoke the Dunkirk spirit or something like that. That. As Milo has made many jokes about this on the show, that's like the Dunkirk spirit of being saved in the nick of time by a bunch of blokes who fish because you can't be fucked to make a plan. Uh, it's the same kind of thing. It's it's a it's nostalgia for an imagined era, and but that 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 nostalgia is is weaponized in politics, even if it's referring to something that never really existed. Yeah. So your your book on this Ministry of Nostalgia sort of goes into this in in a great in a great deal more detail, right? Where it's not just um, keep calm and carry on. It's also um, the sort of fetishization of extremely expensive uh, home goods that look like they were just made of rough spun linen or even uh, take back control or make Britain great again or um, or even like the the popularity of like a like a weird cockney pie and mash shop over the road from my flat. Also, like, mugs with pictures of social housing on, in which I had to photograph my own mug of a picture of social housing on as a sort of, like, self <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of, you know, critique. Um, so, um, yeah, it's completely ubiquitous, and I'd kind of thought it was going to go away, and it hasn't. I mean, I don't, don't want to do, like, the review of Twitter every, you know, on, on these things, but... <laughs> you do every time, but, so well, don't be shy. Yeah, <laughs> like, literally, like, the, an entire week of people talking about Churchill... You know, just ludicrous fucking things. Um, just it doesn't matter if I. No, no, we will oh, okay. be, uh, dear listener. We will be going into I try, that I try, later. I try not to. <laughs> I try not to be Falker. Um, but um, yeah, and I think this, this, this. It had an obvious, like almost too obvious, kind of political use. In so far as you know, the particular slogans used during the, particularly the coalition government, were so kind of designed to appeal to the 1940s, you know, the very idea of, of this being a period of austerity rather than, you know, a more obvious thing like cuts, you know, austerity sort of just, ah, yes, austerity, that's, you know, we, 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 eat, we know what austerity is, we eat spam, you know, we make our own stuff and we, you know, we, we, we go for improving walks on the hills and, you know, everyone feels very good about themselves. And I think that similarly, there was a kind of, you know, the, the, the slogan is like, we're all in this together and so forth. And even the kind of like, the very sort of Mr. Chelmney Warner way that David Cameron used to kind of give his speeches almost seemed to have that kind of reassuring sense that you were kind of watching a wartime broadcast. It's not just even the, I think the wartime broadcast. I think a lot of what pe- what these people want is they want to live in Toad Hall, basically. I don't think it's Toad Hall. I think it's... Um, toad it's, in the hole. <laughs> yeah, it's Toad in the hole. Very yeah. excellent. That's, that's, that's beautifully done. Um, so it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's not really about um, being kind of Lord of the Manor. It's about sort of living, you know, sort of being like George Orwell in 1948 and like living in a Georgian house in Islington and dying of TB. Pardon? Yeah. <laughs> A time when racism was allowed. Well, precisely. I mean, precisely. it literally was. <laughs> <laughs> it was encouraged <laughs> by but certain it, prime ministers. But it's a sort of fetishizing poverty that mm. that that, is, that makes it not very total. Yeah. Well, so we, in fact, you've 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 connected this yourself, where you say uh, austerity's look and historical syncretism, the rejection of the real human advances of the post-war era, had seeped into the consciousness of people who would, when pressed, probably be into opposition to it, even as they performed its aesthetics. Yeah, this is one of those bits where I'm basically having a go at myself. 
<laughs> is this about the mug again? It's, uh, it's a lot more than the mug. <laughs> I am deep in this. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, I think that I, I take your point and I base, I think I agree that the, this the nostalgia for an era when we were tougher, and you only have to look at every conservative politician talking about how suffering builds character, whatever that may be. You can always tell. Jacob Rees-Mogg is like, in the 1940s, I was ripped as fuck. <laughs> but like, you, know, you literally had the man on television yesterday going, concentration camps aren't that bad. Wait, what? It's a great yeah, opportunity uh, yeah, to on, on get involved time. in personal fitness. <laughs> he, 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 Why he do people keep defending the Nazis? He basically, no, he was talking about the British concentration camps in South Africa, and he basically said, like, well, standards were not as, as good for health back then, and, like, that's why people <laughs> died. And it's like, yes, and you put them in fucking concentration camps, too. I mean, it, it was... It was an argument. He basically d- debated the semantics of how you define a concentration camp, and then he said, "Well, actually, when we did it, it wasn't so bad." So it was kind of like, like it was like the people on Twitter that are called like Stalin Pal sixty nine, who like tell you that gulags were totally okay. Please stop talking about my from old. The other end. <laughs> <laughs> Stalin sixty nine, baby. Oh, yeah. well, he was a very good looking man. Daddy, Daddy Joe, as I call horny, him, horny Stalin. Oh, I just remember this because we've talked about this a little bit on the show periodically, um, but it seems to come back so often. The some of the the the, the images in the opening ceremony of the Olympics. And, and you were you were bringing it back to that, yeah. That I think particularly the the the, the, the two things that really get me were uh, the sort of dramatization of like the founding of the NHS and also the Windrush generation. And it's like simultaneously as this grand spectacle was taking place, policies were being put in place to 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 fuck over both of those, to damage both of those, to to deport those same exact people, and then to critically underfund the NHS with the express purpose of of yielding it to privatization. I mean, Nate, we've got to have some new stuff to put in the next opening ceremony. Come on. <laughs> What's the sequel, Nate? What's the sequel? That's what you've always got to be asking yourself. Well, it's because that's the thing. It's we, we imagine when you're going to take away an, an open, a Britain that's open to immigration, you're going to take away a Britain that care, cares about people's health. The best thing you can do is substitute the reality of that of that actual thing with people's sort of imagination of what that thing would look like. And maybe they won't notice. I think that's the political that that is really the political function of nostalgia. It's because it's like, oh, we're going to we're actually going to make your life worse and you're going to fucking love us for it. Oh, it's like jackass. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, it's sort of like jackass, but it was sort of spam and kind of cold houses and so forth. It's sort of but it's similarly a kind of like, look at look at the amount I'm enduring. It um, me, it'll make me more British to have polio. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> the working I, I, class I, are getting their mouse bitten, well, their dick in a mouse bitten by a snake. <laughs> Which is austerity. And it's more kind of like, it's hilarious. <laughs> the working class in Britain is just Steve-O. Going <laughs> this fucking hilarious, dude. It's more kind of like, I, look, I've spent a million pounds on this flat covered in damp. Isn't mm. that wonderful? Look at this damp, you know, just sort of documenting it on your Instagram. You wouldn't want it without damp. That's the thing. We, we have this whole, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to take it back to, to, to Walter Benjamin. I mean, I might. Uh, but where you get that thing of aura, right? Where you, you you're desperate for that place in that time of that either of that thing that's created that I think you can extend as a concept to be to authenticity with a big capital A, and that there is this enormous premium paid and it's um, payable on authenticity now because all of a sudden people don't want to live in bank in perspex banker filing cabinets whether or not they're overlooked by a viewing platform. They want to live in somewhere with crown molding that looks like an anthropology. Um, catalog and so the difference is are you living in 
uh, and an actual council house where most of your life means that you're constantly getting kicked out of London to go live in a cheaper area? Or are you living in a quote unquote council style house that is in a a, a retro modern block with 1950s furniture so you can live in this imaginary more authentic time where you're less sort of relentlessly alienated by structural forces i mean not to not to plug myself here but i kind of wrote something about this a couple of weeks ago which i wanted to shout out on the show but i guess we were too busy talking about dragon dicks or something about yeah, like, something, irish, something of that nature something about the irish on it something about the irish um, or dragon dicks or whatever wrote, dumb I, shit that we talk about in between all this i wrote i wrote this piece a couple of weeks ago for um about vaporwave and about uh like this thing called more wave so a bunch of these teenagers were listening to like hour two hour long like lo-fi mixes of what were what was essentially supposed to be more music so it's like music from the 80s and the 90s but are like purposely reduced and purposely like edited so it sounds as if it's background music and i was talking to these teenagers who like spent hours and hours listening to it not like out of like reasons of wanting to focus or anything but just because they had told me they wanted to um imagine what it was like to live in a time that they never really experienced so they were saying that oh like i'm having all these memories come back to me but it's like dude you're like 16 years old like you did not live in the 80s like you haven't like listened to abba until like now um you know i don't understand what like the appeal of like lo-fi limp biscuit is like <laughs> why don't you just listen to the whole thing damn this is just um, like being in a lift this is crazy what, 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 what it, cool, what, a cool ass lift yeah. right what it turned it's just out, like being in a lift at a hot topic but it was like they were, they were kind of what they what i had gathered from that was that these are like a group of teenagers who are really anxious about the world that they live in and they're really like uncertain and they use this as kind of they use this music as a way of like basically getting themselves like imagining like a different kind of world where things are okay and everyone's safe and everyone's beautiful and like they can exist in that world and i sort of feel like the examples about you know you know as you say like living in an anthropology catalog really is like that right it's kind of like living in you know living in this fantasy world that you've created yourself which is safe and secure and like you can control it and it's the perfect antidote to like a world that you can't control where you know yeah Oh, fuck. So the future isn't Black Mirror, it's Twin Peaks. I mean, probably, yeah. Oh, no. They didn't create it themselves. They, it, was, they, it was created for them by, yeah. by, by capital, essentially. I mean, there's like different variations, right? The only, like, you know, the only the real fundamental difference about owning a flat that looks like a 1950s council estate is like the longevity compared to like a two-hour YouTube video, and that comes with, you know, purchasing power, right? So when you're a teenager who doesn't have any money, like you can access YouTube and like live in that fantasy world for a couple of, you know, a couple of hours. If you're someone who's inherited a lot of money, like you still exist in this really insecure world, like controlled by, you know, controlled by dark capital, but you can live in that fantasy world for longer. And then it's like poor people who, as you said, like they live in the actual world where they can be booted out of like their council estate, which is literally a 1950s council estate because, you know, acid fucking comes out of the sink all the time or like, you know, it's basically deteriorating um you know they're the ones who have to like think about the future that kind of struck me um recently on on, on, on this was someone pointing out that jacob reese mogg is exactly the same age as marilyn manson <laughs> no yeah he was he's like born in the late and 60s that's why I people think, yeah. think marilyn manson had two ribs removed to suck his own dick when actually <laughs> <laughs> well you recall that photo of him wearing the suit and the monocle that was taken in like 1981 he was 13 like he's not that old <laughs> no. he just seems that way 
He seems like he should be like a character from a Dickens novel who gets killed halfway through by like a falling pail of soot. That's because that's <laughs> what like he, he purposely- decided to become. It's a, yeah. it's it's a yeah. it's a persona. Yeah, it's all it's, it is. It, it you know it, it is just per- a series of performances, but really the the main performance in Britain is the same performance that like an annoying teenager will do when they claim they were born in the wrong generation and that they should have grown up listening to Led Zeppelin. And they basically just dress like Bill yeah. Hicks, but without really knowing that say they might not have gotten vaccinated for as many things as they as they did back then, which of course they might not now because of their insane nostalgic parents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jacob Rees-Mogg actually did grow up in the era of Led Zeppelin, but he was nostalgic for the Hindenburg. <laughs> <laughs> If we're going to talk about nostalgia, we couldn't possibly talk about nostalgia without talking about the prime minister of nostalgia himself. Matt Hancock? <laughs> no, no, he's, no he's, a future, he's a future thinking. Yeah, Matt Hancock is a relic of, like the, two, of the 2010, 2011 Britain. We're talking about the man who represents today's Britain, who I will introduce with another man who represents today's Britain, uh, Michael, a quote from Michael Portillo. Oh, shout out, fellow Patrian, Michael Portillo. I'm sure he said something good. <laughs> um, Patrian, someone who went to Peter House. I'm sure this Why will get cut. Every, every fucking episode, there's always like fucking Oxbridge references. I have so many stories about Michael Portillo, which well, are probably libelous. Not libelous if they're true. Um, let us teach our children the history of this remarkable country. I don't mean the wishy-washy. By train. <laughs> By looking at statues of Cecil Rhodes, Thomas Colston. No, no, he says, I don't mean the wishy-washy sociological flim-flam that passes for history in many of our schools today. I don't mean the politically correct, debunking, anti-patriotic nonsense of modern textbooks. I mean the real history of heroes and bravery, of good versus evil, of freedom against tyranny, of Nelson, of Wellington, and sound the fucking horns of Churchill. Pies and nonces. That's what makes this <laughs> country what it is <laughs> the history do do put in some horn sounds he there please a, he wants a history book written by enid blyton that's his that's his vibe the history that created a sovereign nation the defense that protected our parliamentary democracy when every other country in continental europe fell to the dictators the defense that will sustain that sovereignty yet he protected democracy when no one else would <laughs> yeah so you know he wants like some real like social history like um he wants some lefebvre shit basically he wants history from below told by the real people who are the heroes of good against evil obviously I mean, uh, you know, as a fan of Michael Portillo's Great Railway Journeys, I think he should really sort of follow this into a sort of Michael Portillo's Great Journeys of Empire, where he goes around different countries and steals from them. <laughs> Quite jolly. He goes and comments how good the Indian railways are. He pays them in railways. <laughs> yeah, so this is, this is what, and this is, of course, leading into us talking about Churchill, but this is how... Britain now looks at its own history. Everyone is cozily tucked away in a fake council flat covered in um, covered in artisanal coal dust, essentially, uh, just dreaming of being like you know called a racial slur by by Churchill because they're like Italian or Irish. I'm I'm convinced that some of it. So I mean, I realize not all of it is going to be one thing, but I'm convinced that some of the nostalgia is because of the popularity of the of the crown, which fixates on Winston Churchill. The first two seasons, like. Clement Attlee's administration basically happens in a blink. Like, there's zero coverage of it, besides him being portrayed as indecisive when the fog hits. But half of the first season is just Winston Churchill being like, the British people need coal! And it's just over and over again. And it's just like, it, it creates this idea that that's the natural state of things, is him yelling and being the leader that everybody trusts. Yeah, the people have always needed coal. Heroes, <laughs> this, I mean, it, I mean, it is 
heroes, bravery, good and evil, freedom and tyranny, this Manichaean way of seeing the world. That's literally mythology. That's literally what how you would describe mythology. It's Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> but the Infinity War is World War II, which we never got over. Much like so, the 2016 elections. Episode title. <laughs> Avengers Infinity World War II. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but it's so, something that would be very hard to imagine anyone who had actually lived through the Second World War unfortunate ever actually saying. Well, didn't what didn't some um, Brexit uh, some very pro Mark Francois said um, my father uh, with regards to uh, the European Commission saying something or other like um, sorry we can't disobey our own laws um, said he said my father fought for freedom against the Germans and his son would gladly do the same. Would you really, you bloated so it's, idiot? It's basically a country with daddy issues, working yeah, it all out I on mean, the national stage. I, I said this thing, which got a lot of Brexit people mad, which was that, like, the kind of nostalgia for Winston Churchill is, like, more indicative of, like, all the, this generation of men that just need therapy because their dads kept forgetting their names <laughs> um, and just hated them. And, like, I feel like there's some truth to it, right? I do, I do genuinely feel like there is some truth to, like, the projection on Churchill being a conduit for this weird form of, like, no one like really addressing these big problems of masculinity and like what happens to a generation but number one didn't have to fight a war but they didn't have video games either right and they didn't have video games but <laughs> also like had to deal with dads who did have like fucking ptsd right and like who didn't who didn't like show love to their their mums and stuff right i do genuinely think there is something there is something there and that's why so many people got mad at me did not mad at me enough to draw a picture of me <laughs> but mad nonetheless what well, is the end of history right it's just it's been the end of history for them it hasn't been the end of history for us we who've sort of suffered at the hands of the economy that they wrought it wasn't the end of history for their parents who spent most of their lives fighting a war but they did live through the end of history they became nietzsche's last man they were they stared into the abyss of having a completely pointless life bereft of struggle they stared back at them from the tape viewing gallery <laughs> they, they, they stared in the they stared in the abyss and put their dick in it yeah yeah they well, had everyone to, at the tape before everyone at the tape, the tape to go see yeah they 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 had they had a they had an empty life and so they needed to create their own chaos. I, I've said this before and it's just it. I mean, obviously, I'm I didn't grow up here, but you know, my, my grandmother survived the the Blitz in Norwich, but she was she was sick with uh, meningitis at the time, so she was left overnight in the hospital because they couldn't take her out of an iron lung to the, the air raid shelter. Um, she's never been normal. She was six years old, you know, and she was traumatized by this, and she's still alive, and she's still just not normal. She's never been a particularly normal person, um, and I, I imagine a lot of it has to do with the fact that like that entire generation of people had fucking PTSD from the experience of the Blitz, and so it just seems so so cynical to 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 invoke or to make claim to the, the, the that's the spirit that got us through the Blitz because it's like lots of people didn't make it through the Blitz, lots of people got killed by bombs in their sleep or in the middle of the day, and it's just it it, it seems so like cynical to the point of being venal. But it, it seems to work. That's the thing that really surprises me as, as an obvious outsider in this country is that it seems to work. It seems to have traction that people who should know better in the same vein that we're always like, why, why do people, why do certain genres of British people love the Nazis so much? Nazis bombed the fuck out of this country. But it does seem to have cachet. And I don't understand it. thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure Owen has something as a more intelligent way of putting this, but I always feel like it's, it's the same thing as the Dunkirk thing. It's like a misselling of the phenomenon, which is like things like the Blitz spirit and Dunkirk are demonstrations of like the British public's ability to like withstand things and solve problems. But what they also completely demonstrate is just like the government failing them. Like, and so the government co-opting it as a like, oh, everything's going to 
be fine. Remember when everything was fine that time, when the government completely fucked up and you had to solve it for yourselves? Like, it just doesn't... Yeah, and like, Churchill is kind of the same thing. Like, Churchill is, like, emblematic of, like, a spirit in the... Like, those speeches and things are great, and they represent, like, a resistance to fascism and, like, Britain standing alone for a period against fascism and that kind of stuff. And it doesn't mean that Churchill was a great guy. Alone-ish. Alone-ish. Those guys were fascist as fuck until 1941. I was referring to India rather than the USSR, but as you were. Yeah. Um... Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, well, that was basically the end of my point. But yeah, that's another thing that annoys me about the Stalin stands is that, like, Stalin was more than happy to cooperate with the Nazis until they invaded Russia. Like, he was they were not, bad like, business partners. It was, he was not a committed anti-fascist in any way, shape, or form. Until, until of course, he was. He was a committed, this is my land, you no take. Yeah. <laughs> you take everyone else land, fine. That's always been the Russian foreign policy. I mean, in, in, in a, a more... Georgian accent, comrade. Um, <laughs> yes. In, in, but... a more, in a more, like, extended way, like, Dunkirk sort of feels like a certain generations like american psycho or like you know just like these guys who like watch business movies I, I was saying the other day that i met this kid who said that he i met this guy who said that he was inspired to get into finance because he watched the big short <laughs> so good <laughs> that was like i wonder if like is this how like boomers see dunkirk for like they have this imagined view which is like yeah war, war looks really cool it would be really good um, to like go Chris- into a dinghy while being shot at by artillery yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but I think I, th- I think what so of what you said is true. But I think also there's an enormous amount of narcissism in it. Like like mm-hmm. one one of the things that even before um, the financial crisis when it all became inescapable was every time there was a tube strike, um, people would talk about blitz spirit as if like you know <laughs> having to take the bus for a couple of days was exactly the same as literally Nazis raining bombs down on your heads. You know it was an extraordinary kind of narcissism because it, and it's all based. It's like all those kind of like twattish little journals who all think they're George Orwell. It's kind of stuff that makes you sound hard. It's kind of like, yes, I am doing the blitz spirit. I am getting through this thing. It's like, no, you're not. You're like, you're being mildly inconvenienced on your way to work. And I think there's a kind of, that Brexit has a similar thing of like, we, you know, making a political choice is somehow exactly the same as being up against the 20th century's biggest war machine. Um, it's it's weird, but I think it's it's based on sort of self-love in many cases. Self-care, baby. For me, the greatest <laughs> irony of the Blitz Spirit tube strike comparison is that the Blitz Spirit involved actually spending a lot of time in the tube. <laughs> <laughs> so, without with, further ado... With a sleeping bag. Yeah. Without further ado, let's jump in to Tom Harris's article in The Telegraph. The left thinks it's rebellious to hate Churchill, but it just shows how little they understand Britain. Premium content. Telegraph premium, premium, premium. Iconoclasm, he writes, has always been an important feature of left-wing philosophy, though only with regard to its opponents. Yeah, that's that's how politics works. You try to destroy the icons of your opponents so that you win. Uh, but Damn. never mind. Where is the bipartisanship, guys? Compare the number of times leftist politicians in the UK have attacked Winston Churchill, for example, with the number of times they've raised even a smidgen of criticism against mass murderers like Uncle Joe Stalin or Mao Zedong. Everyone on the left loves Stalin. <laughs> it's absolutely true. You, when they admit you to the left, they ask you first, "Do you love Stalin?" You sign and a that's, little, that's the pass. Yeah, you get a little. You get a, that picture of him when he was like looking super fucking yoked when he was young, and you get a little heart frame around that. <laughs> I mean, there are some people who may or may not hate listening to this podcast, and who may or may not love certain forms of overall wear. Uh, who do love Stalin? <laughs> they do. Re- okay, there are some on the left who do unironically just love every single thing Stalin did. And what else do they a, love? Anime and locking their Twitter account. <laughs> 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 <God damn it. laughs> 
Because they don't like it when people don't agree with them. <laughs> as, as opposed to maybe taking a balanced view of the man, for, for example, as I think we try to do of Churchill. Anyway, there is something rebellious about daring to criticize someone who is regarded globally as an inspiring politician and leader, but it is the rebellion of the student politician, of the teenager hoping to impress that girl in the student union bar with his clever and anti-establishment take on politics. Damn, yeah. I love it, it when I get laid by telling girls genocide is bad. <laughs> it therefore exposes older, more mature politicians to accusations of grandstanding and hypocrisy. I love how ridiculously specific uh, Mr. Harris has gotten with this, yeah, that one time that cool leftist came into the bar and totally took the girl I was talking to. You're <laughs> His monocle fell yourself. out in shock and shattered. <laughs> yeah, it's what he's saying. No, actually, if you don't hero worship Churchill, or if you try to counteract the hero worship of Churchill, that's just immature. As though it's it's like it's like if you told someone Santa isn't real and they say, "Well, that's pretty childish of you to say." It doesn't make any fucking sense. So the point is that Churchill is infallible. Yeah. Because He's the Pope. Churchill Churchill is the Pope, but he probably hated Italians. Hid, hidden in mum, but <laughs> Mussolini. Yeah, oh yeah. He was a big he was a big fan of Mussolini for a while. Oh, it's just interesting to me because it seems like that completely negates the fact that Churchill lost quite handsomely in nineteen forty five in the general election. Like, cause it, were all those people you know, you know, they were all trying to impress <laughs> girls. Every single, the entire single British elect, the entire British electorate was all, all trying to impress girls by electing Atlee. <laughs> they, they were all trying to impress the same girl who was on the lacrosse team and was also a second year rep for uh, Ernest Young. Who, who is this person? Who is this Tom Harris? Actually, I have the quote here. But Churchill was booted out at the first opportunity, Crow his left-wing critics, imagining that the electorates voted in 1945 was based on unhappiness with his views on cultural diversity. In fact, he was rejected by voters who, after six years of war, wanted to build a new Britain to which the conservatives seemed ill-disposed. It's like, okay, so he's not fucking infallible then. It's just, yeah. I don't want to repeat myself, but yeah. yeah, it's 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 such a myopic reading of what took place that it just seems as though he's not actually engaging with her. He's engaging with the same sort of bizarre straw man creation that they always want to engage with. Where like the you know, it, it, there's a Mel Brooks quote. Where he says, uh, "Comedy is when or no, tragedy is when I cut my finger. Comedy is when you fall into an open sewer and die." And it's the same kind of thing here. It's like it's like. When when the left when politicians who I don't like get elected, that's the left being juvenile. When politicians that I do like get get elected, that's wisdom coming to the fore. And it's just like it's the same warmed over shit we always encounter from these people. Uh, the best response to uh, John McDonald's latest barb against Churchill, who called him a villain for quite rightly. John McDonald is such a bitch. <laughs> oh my God, he he loves drama. For for what Churchill did uh, in the uh, Tony Pandy miner strike in Wales. I believe uh, the, the quote was, the miners complain their bellies are empty. Well, we'll fill them with lead. <laughs> <laughs> Judge Dredd. Judge <laughs> <laughs> you have really adopted mining. <laughs> right? he, he was just a cartoon villain for most of his life. I mean, he what was- you don't realize is, and I'm being Jacob Rees Mogg here, but in those days, it was normal for people to eat lead. <laughs> and now that might seem outdated and trite, but in those days, it was Very just part nutritious. of the diet. Yeah, you, yeah. Do, yeah, but you must know this. The Romans actually did eat a small amount of lead. Hell yeah, that's what gets your dick hard. <laughs> a it. small amount of lead every day. No, because they used it as because they didn't have sugar, so they used lead as sugar. <laughs> they used it as a sweetener for food, powdered lead. 
Vasa time. Oh, this sandwich tastes of a church roof. I like it. Vasa <laughs> time. We have to go back to Vasa time that I'm nostalgic for personally. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm so nostalgic for M- the glory days of Empire that I'm going and licking lead paint off of the walls of a normal council flat so I can really experience what it must have been like to be an ancient Roman. It makes you impervious to nuclear war. It's great. Like the, the spectate the spectators editorial board are probably like two drinks away from like competitively and performatively licking lead paint. So uh, what, what, is it, what does he continue to say about So what he continues to say... <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nate. That's a really graceful segue, courtesy of me. Uh, the best response to McDonald's latest bar came from none other than, none other than Nicholas Soames MP, Churchill's grandson, oh, who yeah. said, quote, I think my grandfather's reputation can withstand a publicity-seeking assault from a third-rate Poundland Lenin. But did Nicholas Soames's reputation withstand the assault from an Ann woman who said having sex with Nicholas Soames is like having a wardrobe fall on top of you with a small key stuck in the lock? <laughs> I would argue that it did not. He's a, he's I a, rest my case. <laughs> he's a big Your boy. Honor. He's a big boy, ladies and gentlemen. He's a very big boy. No further questions. And that's like we we're desperate to preserve Churchill's legacy because if we want to go back and live in these sort of storybook times, we have to we have to resolutely and systematically fail to confront the fact that we basically invented concentration camps and hit, and Churchill was an ardent proponent of them. Or that people who died under his policies didn't matter. Yeah, fundamentally. That, yeah, that, that, I think that's what I guess the yeah. heart of that, that that those people didn't matter and those people were unequal. And so, um, you know, if it warms the hearts of people to go back to that of a certain class, then that's fine in these people's opinion. I mean, maybe that's a, harsh, a harsher reading than is necessary, but it's just... I don't see how you can look at them and be like, oh, oh <laughs> when, tell you when Grandpa massacred those miners, because like, <laughs> he was or, a nice guy. Or when he committed several different kinds of genocide. Yes. Here, so, but it's sort of based on some compulsory triviality. Like the, the sort of bits about, oh, it wasn't because of culture, Churchill's views on cultural diversity. It's sort of like the idea that what people are sort of angry about is maybe that Churchill might have said a racist thing, as opposed to him like, you know, literally saying during the Bengal famine that Indians breed too much. That sort of thing. A famine which he inflicted. You know, that's 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 kind of, and it's a sort of weird. They're sort of accusing people of campus politics were sort of engaging in a sort of really weird sort of studenty triviality. Like you're kind of writing with some sort of combination of like the enemy and history today. It's, well, it's, go- it's gossip, basically. What they're doing is they're they're treating they're treating all of history like a gossip magazine. Because, and I know I brought this up before, but I think it's worth restating. These people see racism as a personal insult, not a structural force. It's like, oh, you call Churchill racist because you love to be mean to people you hate, because that's just an insult to them. It doesn't mean that it does, it does, it's not connected to actions or power. It's just you being mean by saying the worst thing you can say to Churchill, which is to call him racist. And, and I agree with, with you, Owen, because it feels like when they're reacting to something, it's basically them saying, well, okay, Churchill might not have, might not have been woke, but neither was Hitler. But nobody is saying that. <laughs> Nobody's fucking <laughs> saying that. <laughs> woke Hitler. <laughs> That's such a good bit. Well, it's like, like you, 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 we asked earlier, how could someone like see all that together? I'll tell you precisely how, because Tom Harris goes on to do precisely that. Um, others who have jumped to Winston Churchill's defense missed this vital point. He requires no defense. In fact, to focus on his many faults and weaknesses only serves to magnify his many remarkable achievements and insights. <laughs> wow. I'm not owned. Hitler's not owned. This is Actually, like- you're making yourself look bad. This is like a GCSE coursework essay. Like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? I mean, here? actually, there's a, there's a point to this, isn't there? Because when we were talking about Michael Portillo stuff about learning real history, about, like, good guys versus bad guys, 
Um, <laughs> none of that. None of that. Like PC <laughs> evidence based shit. A, le- a level based. You know, maybe we should get a textbook from somewhere that isn't Ed Excel. Um, maybe we should of- get a textbook from somewhere that from a textbook that wasn't published by right. UKIP. And that's why like, some of that free base Harry Potter shit. And I mean, <laughs> and I mean, that's why they really hate like university history departments. So that's why they hate like history departments, like the SOAS history department and stuff, right? Because at some point, like you have to get out of like the GCSE environment where like number one and also like this is a very this is an educational question too i studied i studied history up to university level but i remember like in my gcses so much like number one i learned i had learned nothing about like the empire or anything which you know we just literally learned about like the second world war and um you know the cold war for a few weeks and that was it and the whole point was literally just like here are the things that are going to get you the marks of the exams right so all you have to do is pass this exam. All you do is have to pass it, you know, get through this institution, and then you can find whatever like fucking managerial job you you know you can want. Like the world's your oyster up to like I don't know like London Bridge or something. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and what I what I real like what I realize, especially when I speak to people about like things to do with history, um, is that so much of it is still like stuck in this mentality that understanding history is as simple as like a GCSE exam where you balance all sides and there are good guys and there are bad guys. And if you don't know enough about like the supposed bad guys and evidently like the way that you're going to answer a question is, is that I know all this shit that Churchill did and it was like super good. Um, but I don't know anything else about, you know, uh, what he did after the war. I know nothing about like the Bengal famine and stuff like that. And that's why like when you bring me, bring it up to these people, people who have only really studied history up to GCSE or maybe A-level standard, whose like main engagement of history is like books from W. H. Smith yeah, like you know those like very dad books about like the war, like there's huge volumes about a hundred facts about Churchill. It's not even that. It's kind of like these. I mean, do you know what I'm talking about? Like these kind of great wit and witticisms of the 20th century books. Oh no, you mean Churchill Alive or whatever? Yeah, like Churchill Alive or like you know the R, you know history of like the RAF and stuff like that. Where like in order to kind of get that level of access into like somewhere like the RAF, you have to be like somewhat sympathetic towards it. And this is like popular history, right? So, like, all these very challenging volumes, all these, like, counter-histories, even, like, the decolonization movement is so kind of contained within universities that when, I think there was, like, a, there was a conversation that happened on Good Morning Britain this week in which Piers Morgan, again, got angry because, like, some... Shocker. Because a PhD student who also works in Navarro Media was talking about decolonization and simply said, we're not, like, trying to erase history. We're not trying to kind of say, we're not trying to say we're not going to engage with these books. We just want to, like, engage with more writers and you want to engage with like writers in the global south who like by the way can write in english and like piers morgan just got so mad about that saying that oh you just want to take down the statue of like cecil rhodes which like number one yeah okay yeah you know um but number two like so so fucking what right like isn't that the point of education but like to them again this isn't about education this is about patriotism yeah it's about togetherness um, you know, so we're ideally heading towards a society for them. We're ideally heading to a, towards a society where history and arts departments will be gutted, but you can buy lots of books about the Second World War from W. H. Smith <laughs> on your way back on your on your way back to the home counties. Join Wing Commander Chuff Pifflington on a rip roaring <laughs> journey through the history of the RAF. <laughs> um, in fact, so uh, Harris carries on in real life because this is where this is where Harris does actually bring in real life here. In real life, our heroes, including our national heroes, are only human. Churchill drank to excess, was prone to depression, was arrogant, hankered after Britain's diminishing empire, and considered black people inferior to his own race. But if you can't handle him at his worst, (laughs) you sure as hell don't deserve him at his best. As though those are all the same. (laughs) Like, 
being a white supremacist imperialist is the same as like being a sad boy who drinks too much. Those are not parallel. No, but they're not. In, in these latter traits, he would have fitted in well to upper class and working class, by the way, society of his time. Love of empire seems clunkingly out of place in modern Britain, but this is an irrelevant observation. Churchill, you see, died in 1965 and was a product of Victorian and I'm already dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's identity politics for dead people at this point. That's what they're doing. They're like, it's like, well, we need to do self care for dead people. Mm. Which is called embalming. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, it's one of those things where, I mean, they kind of, they are, on some weird level, they have a point, which is that, like, yeah, Churchill was born in, like, what, 1870-ish? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, he, he's going to have to, like, I mean, some of the suffragettes were pretty racist. Like, I mean, it's like it's not, like, it's not unusual for someone of that time to have been racist. The unusual element is how much he's deified by yeah. certain elements. Yeah, it's like some random Victorian, like, coal, like, like, like coal shoveler isn't deified today as, yeah. like, the example of what our politics need to be. And, and I think more than anything else is that people aren't saying, like, we're going to cancel Churchill. They're just saying to take it in context and to stop saying that, like, this man had no fault. That's all yeah. they're asking. I think there's an issue that some people then get really excited and they're like, we're going to cancel Churchill. And it's like, no, you you're can. also... He's, already, he's been yeah. cancelled by time. Yeah. <laughs> cancelled by time. He actually has. Yes, he's been cancelled already. It's very like Rutger Hauer. I have nothing further to say on Winston Churchill. Do you think the dragon he was riding on was actually his dick? <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I think Winston, Chur Winston Churchill, nostalgia for him is moronic. Um, and again, like all every, every culture war thing serves only to obfuscate from the fact, I think, that there is a group of powerful like politicians and business owners who are basically making our society worse on a more or less day to day basis. And by sort of making all, all making everything about, well, can you say Churchill was a racist? What we're not doing is talking about the rest of it. We're talking about it on this comedy podcast because it's really, really, really stupid. Yeah. Only one perfect man has ever lived. Bam Margera. <laughs> for the benefit I, that of, was my favorite non-plus look I've ever received. Thank you. For the, for the benefit of the listener, Owen did look at Milo very puzzled just now. Like Bam Margera is our Winston like Churchill. Like a duchess who had been served a strange new kind of tea that she didn't much approve of. Please unpack. Um, How do we begin? We're, uh, we're big fans of Bam Margera on this show. We're big fans of Bam Margera on the show. We think, he's, uh, we think he is... He is our nostalgia for the early to mid 2000s, the pinnacle of Western because culture. Because they were they're too young to remember it. And I'm a little bit older than them, so I can recall Jackass and Viva La Bam and be like, the show fucking sucked. Why do you guys like it so much? <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> the thing was, like, you were like, oh, yeah, you were older than us, so you could watch it and be like, this thing fucking sucks. It's boring. Yeah, I watched we Jackass like, a lot. Well, we were like 14, fun. 15 years old. And like all I wanted was to like build a skate ramp. All I wanted was to live in a castle full of a skate park and then like throw my mother out a window and say pranked. It's like Phil and April were like the oppressive bourgeoisie class, <laughs> and, and Don Vito was like this kind of chaotic neutral. <laughs> and went, went on was to become chaotic evil. Them. Yeah, yeah. Loved, Don Vito <laughs> yeah. was chaotic evil for he sure. He definitely went on to no, to, but in yeah. this my nostalgia for Viva La Bam is that as a teenager I wanted to be in my early twenties and hang out with like Ryan Dunn and. Ryan himself and rake yawn and then like just be a cool guy who like drives a lamborghini off of a small cliff as a joke ryan don rip canceled by time so if are you saying that if if people bam margera is my churchill if yes the, yeah that if they sold you on the bam margera spirit you would support reactionary politics a thousand percent <laughs> yeah. i would do i would i would do whatever he, he would tell me in any case 
I, I think we are about up on time. Uh, Nate, looking at the time god. The time god. <laughs> Nate, 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 the time god. I, li- I like um, being the time god. I think I'll keep that from now <laughs> on. Yeah. Known as Kronos. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Nate, Nate eats his kids. Um, <laughs> so it, it falls to me now just to say, oh, and thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. And uh, also to say, actually, we said at the beginning that we have a live show. We have a live show. We have a live we show. We are alive. Unlike Winston Churchill, we have a live show. Yeah. Um, what would he have? A dead show? That wouldn't <laughs> be very good. Don't go to that. Uh, maybe you can get some of your favorite facts about Winston Churchill's many historical crimes printed on a t-shirt from Little Comrade, mm. should you be so interested in so doing. Uh, or you <laughs> Please could- get, someone get Bam Margera is the Ch- Winston Churchill of modern- <laughs> Of, of modern, modern people of modernity <laughs> yeah uh and uh, you could also get one of our many fine soup mugs mm. yep they're um, available put your soup in them <laughs> yeah for, or put soup coffee same thing uh or <laughs> Just drink it with a spoon finally yeah. you could listen to our theme song which is uh from ginseng it's called here we go you can get it on spotify listen to it early and listen to it often in any case it falls to me merely now to say for the last time good night everybody <laughs> Thank you.